everyone, my name is Philippe and this is the podcast Life with AI, the podcast that we talk about artificial intelligence in a simple way. And for today's episode, I'm here with my professor, Laure Soulier, and I'm sorry if I pronounced wrong her name. <laughs> she, she was my professor here in Sorbonne, and today we're going to have a very nice talk to you guys. So to start this conversation, Laure, can you please talk a little bit about your background, please? Okay, hello everybody. Uh, for my background, so um, I begin with a license in economics and then I did a master and a, a, a third year of uh, license and a master in information science, uh, in computer science, computer science and uh, statistics, decisional statistics in terms of business intelligence, data science and so on. And then I did the last year of research, my uh, master research, uh, about information retrieval databases and uh, computer science. And then I came, I did my PhD on information retrieval. Uh, so during my uh, background, I did both math and uh, computer science mainly after oh. economics, but in economics you also have a lot of math. Yeah, I didn't know that you did your license yeah. in economics, <laughs> that, that's nice. And well, so you did your PhD in information retrieval and you still work with it? Yeah, sure. Can uh, you explain just a little bit what is... What is information retrieval? Information retrieval is a science between, uh, behind uh, what you know is search engine, in which we design algorithms that uh, store and index and uh, retrieve information from documents, mainly on text. I did my, uh, uh, all my research on uh, textual data, but you can also do on, uh, on with uh, images or other, other information. And we design algorithms to retrieve information from data source, uh, mainly, and see uh, be, be, before 2014, it was done with uh, mainly uh, statistical uh, methods, and after uh, now it's done mainly with deep learning methods. Yeah, so information retrieval is like retrieving information from a data source. It can be image, text. It can be image, text, and what you want, but for me, I mainly work on uh, textual data. Yeah, so can you talk a little bit about your work now? Uh, my, my work now is focused on uh, deep learning, machine learnings, and I have two application domains, one in information retrieval and the other one in natural language processing. Uh, for the information retrieval, I mainly focus on working on ranking models, but I have um, a project on co so conversational search. Uh, the objective is to design uh, search-oriented uh, models, but for uh, having more human-friendly conversation with you uh, with user. Uh, for instance, you can interact with your phone to search information, and you would like to speak. And uh, we design models that can uh, be proactive in uh, in helping you, supporting you for searching information uh, while you interact with your mobile phone. Is there a direct relationship with chatbots? Yeah, yeah, this is exactly ch chatbot actually. Yeah. And uh, so 
a typical example of a session can be how you ask your phone that you would like information about for uh, about for instance global warming and uh, the model can ask you if you would like a definition of global warming or uh, some political impacts of uh, of this uh, of this cause uh, and so on and uh, so so you can uh, the system can help you to uh, refine your information need and also to build knowledge around your information need that's nice. And, and I have some questions about chatbots yeah. because it's a subject that interests me a lot. So chatbots were a thing five years ago. Yeah. Everybody talked about it, yeah. but it didn't work that well. Yeah. <laughs> can, can you explain why? Because for me, we didn't really use machine learning on chatbots in some five years ago. We just used the tree algorithm that like you have some possible questions and some possible answers. Yeah. And that's why it didn't work that well. Yeah, exactly. In the beginning of chatbot, it, it worked exactly uh, as you, you, you mentioned, uh, with kind of uh, early, a sequence of question, question you would like to ask. And uh, this is kind of a slot filling uh, answer in which, in, in which you would like uh, to fulfill some missing fields. Uh, and uh, he mainly used uh, information extraction, uh, rules, and uh, ontology or lexical resources uh, for for solving kind of chatbot. And now it mainly uh, it's mainly based on deep learning, in which you have the semantics. Uh, what you have to know about chatbot is you have three main components. The first one is about uh, natural language understanding. Uh, in which you would like to understand what is the intent of the user, uh, what uh, what he's speaking about. And the second component is about uh, the policy, which action uh, would you would like to do uh, for the user. And the third one is about the natural language generation. And now we have a deep learning and machine learning method in each of these components. And so you have kind of semantics around this one. Uh, you also have reinforcement learning in which you uh, learn from the reward or the feedback of the user and thus you can improve the tra trajectory uh, of the session. This part should choose the policy, for instance. The, the, the second part. Yes. The, yeah. The second part shows the action you would like to do according to the intent you, you have from the user. So it's a huge algorithm that uses deep learning to understand and then reinforcement learning, like the yeah, state of the art. You, you, can do, um, you can do in a sequential way with three components that are learned separately, but also you can do in an end-to-end -end manner with a single uh, model. And you're working with it? We, we try. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> we, we try, but uh, I, I, I'm not sure that today it works very, very well, but we, we hope that with big language model we have now, we can have more uh, insight into how to, to work with uh, chatbots and maybe in few words, a few, few, few words, what else is, it will be uh, some, somehow efficient. Oh, that's nice. That's yeah. nice. Because it, it's good to talk with you because I'm not an expert on chatbots and I always say that because before it didn't work because we didn't have a deep learning algorithm working and today we use deep learning but it's still not in the right point to be using. Yeah, it's, I think it's a difficult task and you have a lot of components and a lot of, uh, of knowledge to, to, to gather for, for having an efficient chatbot. So this is a difficult task. And just a last question about chatbots. Do you think that when we have a good enough algorithm, 
the prediction of this algorithm is going to be more expensive than the profits that you're going to give because the model will be so big like it's going to be expensive to use it also yeah but what 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 can be done is in the inference that less cost is at uh, the training but actually yeah for the training this is very costly to to learn uh, algorithm so <laughs> so so after the algorithm is trained there is no problem using it even if it's enormous like i don't know gpt3 yeah yeah G gpt3 are, are maybe quite simple for using in the inference so but at least you have to do some engineering around the the algorithm to do to to do to make it in, in production and having an efficient so but this is more of the engineering parts <laughs> in the computer science yeah. part we yeah. develop the algorithm sometimes you you record the the, the model in Cyton or JAX to have a more efficient uh, algorithm and also you you use uh, some engineer tricks, tricks and, uh, <laughs> that's nice yeah so uh, well going for the next part do you have some hot topics in information retrieval or NLP that you think like is the research focus right now um, I, I think in Information retrieval conversational search has been a hot topic since uh, for, for three years, maybe, and we have a lot of people. But uh, also, I think in both community information retrieval and uh, natural language processing, generation is a common hot topic uh, because we would like that um, algorithm are human friendly and discuss with the user in a human fashion. So, having generation. Uh, that's now quite possible with GPT, but BERT algorithm and so on. Uh, but designing generation for uh, a particular task and avoiding, for instance, what we have is hallucination because natural language generation models uh, somehow mimic uh, data set because we are we have we have uh, we are in a supervised learning uh, very often, and uh, they can generate. Uh, hallucination. What uh, what I call is uh, behind hallucination is having um, texts that are not uh, grounded in the context or uh, related to the input constraints, and having a very uh, uh, constraint uh, generation and that cover what the user expects is very difficult actually. So there is a lot of effort. Uh, into generation models and constraint uh, with prompt uh, or or input data. And I imagine there is also a big conversation and discussion about the ethics behind these algorithms because if they mimic the data set, the data set that you use is really important. Like if you use yeah. Twitter, our algorithm is going to be... I think this is uh, all the... This is a typical issue we have in machine learning and deep, deep learning, not particularly in text, but uh, you have to care about uh, the data set to avoid bias or also uh, to, to avoid mimicking uh, uh, wrong behaviors of users. Uh -huh. yeah. And well, uh, you were saying about your applications now in information retrieval, yeah. but you didn't say in NLP. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, in NLP, I work on data-to-text generation. The objective is to um, generate summaries from structured data. From structured data, we can have tables with, for instance, numbers 
or, or text also. Uh, we can have graphs, we can have uh, anything you would like uh, in terms of structured data, and we would like to synthesize the information and generate summaries. And what is particularly difficult is to select the right content you would like in the data structure, because sometimes you have uh, big or huge tables with uh, maybe 600 columns or, or 1,000 odd lines, and you would like that, you, you, do, you, you would like that the summary just pick the mm, the, the most relevant information and then generate a summary. So the summary can be uh, generic, but also gu guided by a request uh, from the user. So you, you both have this kind of constraint. Uh, we can also fit uh, with the information retrieval side. Maybe this is going to be very useful for data exploratory analysis, because if you have a huge yes. data set and you run this algorithm. Yeah. What we think in the team is also that this kind of algorithm, this kind of explainability of data, and then you have a kind of transparency, and uh, this is also um, promoted in this kind of, if this uh, aspect related to uh, uh, transparency, explainability in information, uh, in machine learning, and this is really important, yes. Do you think we could use this kind of algorithms to explainability in the models? Like run yeah. this source of algorithm to explain a model. Yeah, yeah. We thought about that. For instance, in a chatbot, that maybe we can use data to text model to uh, synthesize what the decision uh, the chatbot has taken, and then to explain to the user uh, why the chat chatbot is uh, is answering this uh, this text and in which point is this research now like do we have something concrete no. <laughs> no no this is in the very beginning but uh, yeah so we, it's also a hot topic yeah what we did uh, last summer is to use data to text for generating answer uh, in an information retrieval setting and what is interesting in data to text model is uh, that you can separate the content selection and the generation. And when you separate the two, these two aspects, you can build kind of plan of the answer you would like to generate. And the plan also explain uh, how is built the answer and where does the, the information come from. So you can have a kind of uh, explorability, expo explainability layer uh, from the generation. Mm, that's nice. And it, <laughs> it's interesting that research is always like this. Yeah. Do you have something? Not now, but maybe in some years we're going to have. I, I remember when I did research a lot and I didn't have an answer for one year. And then the answer came and the project scaled um, up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you always have, have this because no, no state of the art in deep learning goes very fast because you have a lot of articles that are published and uh, with very strong publication or disruptive publication. So maybe we will, I hope we will have a, a good algorithm or chatbot that uh, take all the component and that also can be generic from chatbot, task-oriented bot and so on. So I, I think it will be interesting in a few years. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> and just a last question about research and algorithms. Yeah. What do you think about the future of AI? It can be like a near future for the next few years or in the long term. What do you think we're going to have? I think uh, in AI, more particularly in deep learning, because info, uh, uh, artificial intelligence is very large, yes. actually. But in deep learning, uh, what is interesting to notice is that uh, in the beginning, uh, when I say beginning, it 
I, I think uh, maybe eight years ago, not there is a very beginning yeah. of uh, <laughs> of uh, uh, neural network, but uh, is that uh, when we started to work on uh, such algorithm, uh, the main objective of researcher was to have uh, the best result regarding a task. But now, what we focus is not to having a best result but uh, to have good results, but maybe with lighter algorithm, with more parameters and so on, to have also a good balance between the, uh, the computational cost and the efficiency. And also another interesting point is that we would like to explain the decision and having uh, this, this explainability issue with model. Uh, for instance, with generation, which is a, a mean, for user to understand and to communicate with data or something else. So I think we more focus on qualitative algorithm uh, in terms of usability, acceptability, uh, rather than uh, the efficiency in which you would like uh, the best performance, we see, which is uh, maybe uh, 0.01 better than the previous one. Yeah. Yeah. So smaller models and more explainable ones. Yeah. Well. And also having uh, designing new tasks and uh, rather than using data set and performing standard tasks, I think we rather think about uh, disruptive tasks and uh, having uh, innovation in, in terms of usability. Like self-supervised, the, the way yeah. we learn the algorithm. Yeah, the way you will learn or application data to text, text uh, for instance, is a niche. Uh, most of people work on natural language generation, but we have a few on data to text generation. And for instance, this is very useful for companies because they have a lot of data and they would like to, to have an, an insight into them. Yes, yeah. yes, that's nice. Well, so now let's go to a second part of this episode that I would like a lot of advice from you because you gave me the course of research in data science and methodology and you teach a lot for me. So I would like you to, <laughs> some, some stuff that you taught to me to pass this to, to people here, that, to the audience. So the first question is, how was your experience of doing your PhD? Okay. Um... How was your journey, like your life, what you did? What do you thought about? Think about it. Okay, um, doing a PhD was uh, a hard decision actually because I didn't know in the beginning if I had if I had the ability to do that, and actually it was uh, really uh, fruitful and uh, a joy to do this because. Uh, you learn a lot, but even when you are a researcher, actually, you, I continue to learn a lot. So that's really great for this side. And what was uh, interesting is to develop a kind of methodology uh, for doing research and learn to how to do it. Uh, and also what is interesting in doing PSG is that you have a network around you and you can discuss with a lot of researchers, a lot of students uh, and uh, engineers and so on. And that's, I, I think this is a, a, a strength when you do a PSG that you have a, to, to have a good environment around you, around research and uh, uh, exchanging with people. 
So I appreciate, I appreciate a lot that. Uh, and also I saw it as a challenge actually, because uh, you have an objective to design model, having publication. And for me, it was a personal challenge to, to design good models and having good publication. So it was really uh, exciting actually. Also you PhD experience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and you said that you, you were worried about like not being capable of, but did you have the, like, did you know if you wanted to go to research or, or, or industry or you always knew that you wanted to research? I think I had in, in myself the feeling that I, I, I was done for research. Uh, I also like teaching, so it contributes also to my choice to do a PhD because I wanted to do, uh, to, to do teaching activity during my professional future. So it was also a balance. Really and and by the way, you are a very good teacher. Oh, thank you. And because one thing that you said in one of your first classes is exactly what I believe for teaching. That is before explaining the subject, showing why you should learn it. Yeah. And you said it to explain your papers. Why this guy gonna pay attention in your paper if he doesn't know why? Like, what does it mean? Yeah, I think this is really important for both for teaching and. Uh, and research because when you teach you would like to catch the attention of the audience uh, which are students but uh, if you would like they follow you uh, for two hours or for the semester you, you need to, to explain why this lecture is important and this is the same for research uh, when you do a model uh, it's not a simple model that excites you just to design and to implement it it should be it should have an a, an utility for the community, either in algorithm, algorithm uh, fr from the algorithm side or from the application side, it can be in different aspects, of, of course. But this is interesting. One of my experiences was uh, when I went to a conference, I, uh, I presented my, my models and slide during uh, 20 minutes. And my first question after my presentation was, it's nice, your model is nice, but why, what, for what it is for? And so <laughs> I, I took this lesson for now and that's why I, during the lecture I told you that you have to motivate your work and have a, uh, uh, to, to motivate your work uh, because this is really important to catch the audience and also to, to explain people that you are doing a, a, a work uh, for a good purpose. Yeah. Yeah. The, for me, the beauty of the model is a problem that it solves. And yeah, th that's why I I mainly focus on uh, intuition, motivation, uh, why you are doing that, why uh, you integrate uh, a technology in, in your model, an algorithm in your model. It, it should not be. Uh, I would like to use a unsupervised way or cycle gun or I don't know just for fun and I do a model. If you use, for instance, cycle gun, that's because this is useful for your use case or uh, for having uh, an impact on uh, on the learning. I have an episode about cycle gun and I implemented it yeah. in there <laughs> a small framework application in, in yeah. my GitHub. That's great. And and now another question. That now it's going to be a lot of questions. What advices could you give for people that want to do a PhD now or like from your experience of doing your PhD and supervising students? Okay, uh, hard question. I don't know if I will have all answer, but what I can say is that you need to be curious because uh, 
you will have a topic but which is very focused because we ask a PhD student to solve uh, uh, a small, <laughs> a small, uh, a small issue in a large, large domain, and very often students only read uh, the literature from this topic. But also maybe uh, they are other uh, domain, application domain, or other algorithm that can interest you for solving this issue. So you are you have to be very curious in reading the literature review in the large point of view. Obviously, at this moment you will you will focus on a, a particular point, but start with a large point and also uh, attend seminar, attend conferences and so on, because even if it's not related to this to your topic, it can be interesting and give you a solution from uh, your, your issue. Yeah. So yeah. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. And, and the second the second uh, the second aspect is about methodology, but no you, you know me from you know me <laughs> from, from the lecture, but uh, I think methodology is very important uh, in research uh, for for having a, a good process. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you don't design a model just for fun. It should be motivated. So you have to think about the research hypothesis, the research question, and the intuition you would like uh, to promote in your model. But also in the experimental part, uh, very often uh, we run the algorithm and see the performance on particular tasks, but you have to think about also what he, why your model is important, why your, your model is not efficient, and to, uh, to have insight into this. And for this, uh, you need to build some research question to analyze during the evaluation process. So having a good methodology also is important, not particularly uh, from the uh, research side, but also in the implementation side, because we know in deep learning that the implementation and the evaluation is very huge, and you have also to store your data. Remember how where it stores. Sometimes <laughs> students came and say, "Okay, I don't remember where are my data." So <laughs> oh. <laughs> when you did when you do a lot of experiments oh, okay. and you have a lot of variation of your model, you have to save them and to uh, remember where they are stored. So good methodology and being well organized also is will uh, save you a lot of time during like saving <laughs> versions of your model and yeah. explaining what you did yeah, yeah. and and having a, a book for in which you note everything uh, what are the experiments you have done on which variation of the model and where this model are stored uh, even if uh, the model or the, the variation failed it doesn't matter but maybe I, at one time, you would like to go back to this version and improve it, so it can be also useful to to have a kind of book that not everything. Yeah, and, and about the first thing that you said of reading papers and attending yeah. conferences of different subjects, especially now in the Transformers generation, that Transformers work for everything. Yeah. So people took Transformers from text and now are using on image. Yeah, 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 that's funny actually because the the starting point of deep learning uh, in 2012 or 13 was from computer vision and then all the fields used uh, neural network for the application domain and now we can see that we have BERT and transformer model that are 
that have been designed uh, for natural language processing. And now this is a reverse side because computer vision uses technology from their use case. So and and even tabular data, I don't know if you know, there is a tabular data model proposed from Amazon that is called a tabular transformer, something like yeah. this. And they also train a self-supervised way. So tabular transformer models are everywhere now. Yeah, yeah, they are everywhere. So this is interesting to see that we have a valuable model in each application domain that and that can help the other one. So that's why I, I, I told earlier that you need to be curious and to see uh, what is done in other fields because uh, it can be interesting also for your field. Nice. I always say that curiosity yeah. is a big point of machine yeah, learning. <laughs> and another question now. How do you manage your time between preparing and giving classes, supervising PhD students, and also doing your own research? Ah, this is difficult. And <laughs> also you forget a writing research project to have fundings. Oh, yeah. And this is really important, otherwise <laughs> you don't have money. Actually, this is a really uh, a big point we have, uh, and maybe one of, of the main, I think. But uh, I don't know if I can manage uh, inequality, uh, all these aspects. Maybe a last point is have your own private life. <laughs> I don't know if you <laughs> I, I try to have my own private life, but sometimes yeah, this is this is difficult, and uh, we work during the evening or, or weekends. But I try to to do not. So the the first point is to close the emails during the evening and the weekends. <laughs> but I think this is for most of professional people. Uh, and for having a good balance between all these activities, this is very difficult actually, uh, because we have some period in which we have a lot of teaching. And I think during this time, we mainly focus on the teaching part. And then we have time in which students are in internship or in holidays, and then we can more focus on uh, research. So I, I think the balance is during the, the year rather than the, the day or the month. But but we try when we, I think we we can we can try when we try to 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 focus on all activities and in our head uh, the, there is a lot of boxes. <laughs> with teaching, uh, research, uh, project, and so on, and uh, this is, I think, in we we adapt act, uh, accord, uh, accordingly uh, to the constraint, and we don't have the choice actually with and deadline. And uh, depending yes. on the deadline, we we put the focus on one activity, and we we are more relaxed on the other one, and uh, it depends. And do you see a difference in the moment that you did research during your PhD that it was just research and, and yeah. now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I, I see many professors that when now they are professors and they supervise students, most of the papers are published from the students and they have are co-authors. Yeah, actually when you teach, you don't have a time for doing personal research from your own. You do research through the PhD students, through the interns and so on. Uh, what you do for your own research is to write project. I, I don't like this aspect, but uh, it also allows uh, allow to uh, to take time to think about the subject of the next thesis or the next in terms. And this is a way for doing personal research because you do literature review, you uh, design a plan, plan for research. Obviously, the operational uh, need is uh, the, the student or the PhD student or the intern. 
but uh, you are the main actor and the principal principal investigator uh, at the beginning, and then after the students appropriate okay. the subject. But uh, I also like this phase in which you design uh, what will be the next step of your research. Uh, not particularly relating to writing project. We also do this uh, without writing project, obviously. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> Because before writing the project, you need to reveal the literature and see the opportunities to then yeah. be funded. Otherwise, I, I think one uh, one of our job uh, in research is to have idea and to to design research plan. And actually, even if we are not. Uh, implementing the model and doing evaluation, uh, we uh, think about what is the next step and what are the challenges we need to tackle and also what can be the technique we will use. Then after we discuss with the PhD student to do this and we have a, a lot of exchange and most of the time it's doing implementation, evaluation, And also we propose, huh? we, we are not the only one to propose model, we do this in a collaborative way. Uh, but I think this is a way uh, in which you, we do research, because we don't have time to do the full research from the beginning to the end, uh, due to activities and administrative activities, teaching activities and administrative activities. But uh, at least we have this time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and another question now is that, like, Do you see, do you think that the research area and doing a PhD is really far away from industry right now? A person that will do a PhD gonna close doors from the industry? Do you think so or not? I, I think you have both because now you have companies in which uh, they have a very limited application domain and they would like an algorithm for this task and so on. But we uh, we notice that more and more companies open. Uh, the the algorithm side for research side and so we have a lot of collaboration with companies uh, through CIFRE and uh, what is interesting to notice for the two or three last years that they let us a lot of liberty to design model and to uh, propose a new application task because they, they see that maybe the, the task we propose can be used in the company for future novel application or future innovation. So this is interesting also. So do you think that nowadays specialization, because when you do a PhD, you get specialized in a subject. You are not yeah. generalist anymore. Yeah, but if you are curious during your PhD and you attend a lot of conference, even if you did a specialized algorithm or something like that, uh, you should be able to uh, to perform several tasks. Obviously, it will misuse uh, the peculiarity of the application domain and so on, but you will have a generic, uh, general culture of machine learning and algorithm and how to design or how to motivate and so on that you can use in different fields. Yeah. You know that a lot of these questions are, are from me because I don't know if I want to do a PhD or if ah. I, I want to go to industry directly. So, And I also have a lot of friends that have these questions. So. Yeah, this, I think this is a really good question and really difficult question, actually, yes. But maybe what you have to think is uh, what you would like in the future. If you would like to uh, just... Just this is in... A, between comma, but uh, just apply algorithm and then 
solve a particular task and here you are more in the engineer part. This is not simple because we know that you have to train and to evaluate model and sometimes it doesn't work and this is a, a good part. Or if you would like to innovate, change par uh, change intuition of the model and had constraint and so on. And if you would like to be in this part, the PhD, the PhD is a good training for doing that. And then at the end, you have good cap capacity for doing that and you are uh, you, you won't have this kind of uh, uh, training that engineer will have and take a long time to understand what is a research hypothesis and what is an intuition and how to model the, the, the algorithm according to the intuition. And it would be in your skills and it would be more easy. Uh, is there the middle between them like a PhD in more applied research? Or yeah, you, really? you, you can have different type of PhD which are uh, applied according to a specific task or maybe in companies they provide you a use case or you can have a purely a theoretical PhD with a lot of, uh, I don't know, math or model design without particular uh, particular application domain and uh, it's up to you actually to, to find a way. Nice. But I think PhD is good training and provide you good skill and Obviously, at the end, you have the diploma, so it would be easier uh, in the company to have a research position when you have a PhD, rather than not having a PhD and just uh, uh, going to the company after the master. Thank you. And a last, a last question about yes. uh, this research part is that, do you have anything to add that you would like to talk, that you teach in classes and you would like to say to the audience? Oh. Or just advices of... <laughs> For people, I, I, I gave a lot of advice. I think. Yeah, you <laughs> uh, what, what I can say is that uh, when you start a PhD, you have a lot of activity actually because you have to do research, but maybe you would like you you can do some teaching activities, and also we ask you to attend conferences and sometimes doing uh, extra activity uh, such as mates in. 180 seconds for people that would like to do ah, this, for instance. Yes. And okay, sometimes we say no, I only focus on publication uh, and so on. And what you have to think is that maybe in the end of the PhD, you would like a different point of view of you, what you would like to do. And very often, I heard PhD students say, Oh, if I knew it. During my PhD, I will done. I will have done that. So, when you do your PhD, think about that. You have to take all the possibilities that uh, that are in front of you, and uh, do your best because at the end you won't know what you would like to do because you will have another point of view. So, give you the chance to choice at the end of the PhD. More, more particularly for publication because. You have to do a strong record of publication for uh, having some job. And for instance, if in the PhD, if you just are more in a more relaxed way for having publication, but not in so good venues or not so high conference, at the end of the PhD, maybe you would regret that because it won't give the possibility to access such, such jobs. So give you the chance to choice at the end of the PhD is, I think, a good advice. 
and maybe also do your best. While yeah, do your best, and then you could cho- cho- you could you could cho- choice choose choose. <laughs> Okay, thank you. And before the final question yeah. that I always ask in the episode, I would like to thank you about the whole semester and everything oh, you, you taught <laughs> me and everybody in the class. You you were a great teacher for us. And now the final question that is, if you have something to say to people related to machine learning or just life aspects, what should you say? Oh. <laughs> This is the hardest question yeah, ever. Yeah, the hardest question Uh, like something that you believe in life that you like to pass to people. You, you I, I think you, you need to, to love your, what you do because this is a really important aspect because you interact with people and if you don't like what you do, uh, you won't have good exchange or you, you, you saw that you appreciate my lecture, but I think because I, I love uh, teaching so... I think people people have to ch- to to choose what they la- like, and then people will feel that uh, it's a good option. So I think That's be, nice. be excited about but what your research or your activities, and uh, it will be a good starting point. Yeah, try to do what you love, and you yeah. for sure you're gonna do it well. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks a lot for accepting also recording Thank this you. episode. It was very nice, and I learned a lot doing it. <laughs> well. Uh, I hope you guys also enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to follow us on social media. On Instagram, we are podcast.lifefai. And on LinkedIn, we are just lifefai. And Laura, can I put your social media here, like yeah, LinkedIn, sure. so if people maybe want to contact you? Yeah. Thanks. And well, until next Thursday, guys. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>